Hello and welcome to Flights Through Allegasia. Uh, it is Chip and Armin. Armin, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not too tired. I feel pretty relaxed, actually. Um, I say that and I'm trying to stifle a yawn now. Uh, so <laughs> that's how this evening night is going to go. Um, we had a decent section. Uh, not much to talk about. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's a long, it covered like what, 60 pages? But yeah. But no, not not too dense. Not too much to talk about. Not not too much to talk about. Um, but good couple predictions. I won't say are answered, but they're getting fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely definitely. So you'll hear some talk about our predictions and such like that. Um, as of now. Uh, with that being said, though, uh, your football team had a bye week. Yes. Um, dude. So my close. Fo- my football team almost lost. To who? Any of them. All of the ACCs, <laughs> CSC, the, the, the SECs. Like, Missouri must beat Georgia. I mean, Missouri's SEC too. I know. But State almost beat Clemson. I was so. Bro, fuck Clemson, first of all. <laughs> Everybody's. Uh, fuck Clemson. Like, they always get that horse that lets them pull away uh, like especially in death valley luck of the luck of the devil like uh i was so disappointed with georgia and the clubs but. yeah unc needed the win that they had they definitely did hookies they definitely hookies did. yeah um i'm assuming oh there's a big upset of uh TCU beating Oklahoma. Oh, TCU clapped Oklahoma. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's like, and that was before they even like before the QB got injured. Yeah, they Oklahoma got clapped. I mean, that's it's it's good to see that Oklahoma's maintaining their precedent of completely blowing games and being entirely overrated, yep. regardless of whether it's Lincoln Riley or Brent Venables. It doesn't um, matter. Honestly, I expected more from Brent Venables, but still. Um, what are you gonna do? And Bryce Young, Alabama's quarterback. Incumbent Heisman is out. Yeah. Um, which I don't think it's been diagnosed yet, but that's definitely a torn rotator cuff. Did you see that play? I did not, actually. I knew he was out. I didn't get to see the play, though. He got slammed on the shoulder. They did two run plays. First time he tries to throw, gets halfway through the motion, he throws it, and then calls the trainers to take him out. Damn. And the commentator was saying that, because he had some exactly the same thing, and that happened to me too. Like first time you throw that, that's a torn rotator cuff. Okay. Like that. I mean, as soon as you get to that that top of that motion. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a rotator cuff. That's oh boy. Yeah. Ouch. Um, hopefully it's not that bad because yeah. he's a good, talented quarterback. But he's yeah. All right. Yeah. Speaking of injuries, a friend of mine who plays hockey just got concussed. I feel like a it's lot actually, of hockey players get concussed. Honestly, she sent me a video of it. It's honestly kind of funny. Juice <laughs> <laughs> gets absolutely bodied by, by, this other, by, this other, by this forward on the other team. <laughs> just, she went she airborne a- for a solid like second and a half. Like, it, was, it was kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. That's great. That is great. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's kind of midseason like shakeup. Everybody's kind of messing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, weird happening. Yeah, poor girl. <laughs> She's was, the other day. The other day, I was watching some like old, old time football, and I just it amazes me how rough they used to be, and like how much they've gone like towards safety. Old school football. Oh yeah. Really? Like if you watch like some of the older games, because like think about it, they used, they allowed like the blindside hits, they allowed you to lower your shoulders, oh, that's and right. hits, yeah. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And so, a... like watching back in like the seventies and the sixties and eighties, those those were some crazy hits that they had. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of facts. Not yeah, you you're right about that one. That's definitely yeah. So, um, but with that being said, I don't think I have much more to share on in life. Life is pretty chill. Just working a lot, hustling, making all oh, this yeah. money. Yeah. Like I said, this I is a very, it's, 
it might be a big section, <laughs> but there's not much to this section either. So yeah. it might be a shorter episode. I also have a phone call later than this evening, so we kind of jumped down to do this one real quick. Yeah, because uh, Armin is slow and group work takes a while. Apparently. Um, <laughs> blame the group. Uh, That's what I would do. <laughs> uh, we have, our design was not working. So, But anyway, to move on to our uh, immediate section. If y'all are following along, we're starting off with chapters 45, or 44 and 45 on the wings of a dragon. The sound of his voice, the touch of his hand. I get the point of that chapter title. I'm going to point out, that's a little weird. But, um, <laughs> like, I know, I know Ooh, that baby. was referenced, that was referenced towards Murtog and not Galvatorix, but it still sounds just a little weird. Just, just gonna put that one out there to do with what you will. I'm not the only person that thought that, right? No, definitely not. <laughs> like, um, I won't lie, like, actually, most of the times, I don't really read the chapter titles. I know, very guilty of that, but I just, fuck, read... that's like the only, like, purpose that they have. <laughs> I just read through the story. Like, I just kind of like know it's a new chapter and I just kind of like start reading. I know this, that's, that, I don't know if I should have missed that on a podcast that I'm reading a book. About. No, that's, that's definitely kind of dumb. And you can't edit that out because. <laughs> Fine. I won't. I won't. I won't edit that. You can't that. edit that out because people can make fun of me for any stupid thing that I say on here, but rarely do you say something so like egregiously. Just dumb. Like, that's just dumb. <laughs> yes, the whole, my, so scared and terrified, my butthole puckers wasn't a stupid and dumb statement that I said. Oh, was that, that like was five funny. Episodes? That was funny. That wasn't you just being blatantly impatient and not reading chapter titles. I'm not impatient. I just never have read chapter titles. Like, it's not, it's not new to this series. So don't get me wrong, people. It's not, it has nothing to do with this book or this series. That's fair. I've that's never fair. read chapter titles. I've always just read the book. Honestly, to be fair, Palini really does, like, the chapter titles are very descriptive of the chapter. Oh, yeah. Um, although, I will say that this chapter title did, rem- like, seem like one of those ads for one of those Danielle Steele, like, fucking gross-ass romance books that are out there. Have you ever the seen those ads? sound of his voice. My millionaire cowboy boyfriend. Hand. Like, whatever the shit that <laughs> is. Like, I think maybe it's just me because I have a Kindle, but those ads are always on the goddamn Kindle. It's just like, what is this Wattpad looking at? Like, shit, like... <laughs> okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If, if you know, you know. Like, If you know, you just, know, apparently. That's just ridiculous. And uh, apologies if you really like whatever those Danielle Steele novels are. Get a life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. We're starting out with chapter 44. Um... On the wings of a dragon. Not too much to talk about here. It's mostly the story of how uh, Ordmus and Glader sort of came to be, which is honestly kind of cool. Like, it's it was a good captured, how they got injured. Yeah, it was a nice little like interim section where nothing really happens, but we have this like cool ass story. Right. Um, and first things first. Well, shit. There goes my Eldenari theory. Not necessarily. Um, first, what do you mean? I get Galvatorix and Ormus went back to search for him. Maybe, sorry, uh, Galvatorix. I get Glagier and Ormus went back to go search for them. Maybe Gla- uh, Galvatorix and Trucon did too. But if you have that many, and you're able, dragons of old are able to banish the names of the Forsworn, come on. You can't tell me that they don't have the magic to hide their own Eldenari too. Okay. I'm just saying. I get the point. I'm kind of with the name on this of the Vault of Souls. Come on, I, no, that's that's pretty fucking ridiculous. But I'm not sure. I, I agree. Like it's not entirely down the drain. But Glader's explanation is a good explanation in the sense of it's not just whether he can sense the souls or not. He can sense whether or not something is there, which magically makes a lot of sense. Because that's like, true. The energy of the world um, around and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, Obi Wan can be feeling a disturbance in the Force doesn't exactly always tell him what the disturbance is, but he still feels it, you know? Like, I right. feel like that would be the same kind of thing for a Glader. Because, um, it's actually, I really like it when authors do this kind of trope, but, like, sometimes sensing what's not there is as important as sensing what is there. Like, um, right. oh, like, actually, this is a great example. An Artemis Fowl. Have you read those books? Uh, I read the first one. Dude, I never read the, the series. The series is actually really good. But, okay. Um, it's a childhood series. But in the fourth book, 
they're looking for a ship that has it's completely cloaked, it's got stealth. And Artemis, they're in a uh, like a, a chute. So Artemis is saying, "Look, trace all of the air current and patterns." It's like that won't do anything because the ship is cloaked. It, it's entirely cloaked to all senses. Like, no, don't look for that. Look for the air patterns because you'll see a pocket where the ship is. Okay. So, like, um, if you got all this air swirling around it, the air is not going through the ship. Got it. The ship will be leaving a pocket where it is. It's kind of the right. same thing. Like, there'll be a space, like, there'll be a space where that energy is concentrated. I get it. I got it. So, like, Glader's explanation makes sense. He doesn't even have to know if there's specifically not Eldenari. He just knows that there's not, like, a massive magical center there. Okay. It's like, I think, I think my Eldenari theory's kind of gone to shit. But with your explanation of kind of deep, we're deep diving into it, it makes sense. I don't know if I'd say get rid of it, but it definitely makes more sense. Late at night on September 27th, 1977, three terrible things happened in the small town of Garrison. An infant was stolen from its crib, never to be seen again. A forest fire sparked just a mile down the road, and the first in a series of grisly murders rocked the town. All had one thing in common. They were perpetrated by what those in the town called the Shadow Man. I'm going to bring you along on my investigation into just who the Shadow Man is. Welcome to Strange Trails. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think we'll just... just Go ahead and see. But, um, and if my interpretation of that is wrong, please email us and correct me. But, um, uh, moving on, just a little note Aragon does some experiments with Glader to like try and understand how they would dive into like taking down Galvatorx. Right. I found this part really interesting because actually, this is another instance of it's not exactly what Palini says, but as what he doesn't say. I found it really interesting that Palini didn't say how Aragon tried. Okay. Do you think it's like one of those things where like the cartoons like, oh, I have a plan. And then like it goes mute and then you just see the plan. Possibly like another like very extended version of that. Because like I would expect Palini. Palini has no qualms about writing longer stuff. Right. Obviously. So I would have expected him to go into like a full like dialogue scene where Aragon's trying out different things and Glader's like either supporting them or shooting them down. Right. The reason I could say that is because I would I would say the Palini did otherwise is that either he doesn't want to play that card yet, so he's just letting us consider it on our own, or or and or it's kind of a mixture of things. Uh, is he just want to play that card or? That thought process isn't important as of right now. We just need to know that Aragon's thinking about it. But I thought it, I found it interesting that Pauline neglected to share any like details, right, on why on like how Aragon was going about this. And honestly, I think we get more answer to that point in the next chapter with Nasuada. Okay. Um. So one thing's for certain, I love moving on again, uh, to how the two rogue riders trapped Ormus and Glader. The, they did it by using spells that did no harm. Right. It's crazy. That shit was dope. Like, that whole explanation of how they did that and how Ormus got out of it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Like, it was so cool. Because, um, I won. That's definitely a potential, like, all of this stuff is working within bending the rules that Aragon's playing with right now. Right. Um, so one, the spells that do no harm are difficult to avoid, but you can still, like, that's a great, like, way of manipulation to get an enemy to do, like, to bind them. Right. Without them resisting anything that does harm. Like, that was genius shit. And th- that their wards probably don't protect from. Because it's yeah. like, you know, when you put a lot of wards on, you definitely do it for the dangerous things, not things that won't harm you. Exactly. So it's a good Aragorn, way to like slide past all the wards. Yeah, Aragorn's protecting from arrows and swords, not from being stuck in one place. Exactly. Like, that's, honestly, it's really genius level stuff that I could totally see Aragorn throwing back at Galvatorix. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get another one of those, little point of continuity, I'm going to jump ahead here, to the end 
of uh, small rebellions, and Murtag places a protective spell on Nasuata. Right. Which he can do, it does no harm to Galvatorix. Exactly. Which is kind of dope. Like that, which is really dope. That was kind of dope. Uh-huh. I was like, I, I see what you're doing, Palini. That was kind of dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, definitely, I could see the like do no harm route being taken. Not saying that that's the one that's going to be taken, but that was really cool. Right. Um, but even cooler was how Orvis got out of it. It was nuts. I'm not sure I fully understood understood how he got out of it. I don't think we were meant to fully understand. But switching tiny things about him and Glade, physically switching them around, and like swapping parts with Glader until they're different people yeah. to get so that the spells no longer apply is some meta ass shit. Yep. Like that's that was that was fire. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy to think that that's how in depth he is going into his own worlds of magic and how to use yes. it and manipulate it. And yeah, it's just great. I love it. Yeah. All the groundwork that Palini was laying with the magic system and the rules about it earlier, those same rules that we like ranted about and then compared to Harry Potter. Um, all of I have no rules. rules. Not hard. To. <laughs> yeah. All of those rules that Palini created seemed like a little like extensive at the time and just for world building but now we're getting these callbacks to where he actually needed to establish these a long time ago so that he can now work within that system and play with the rules yeah and like literally just bind his characters based on how much creativity they have yeah just which is fucking awesome a way to like open yet restrict your characters yeah it's a very power i guess it's a very logical balance yes. of um, it's really it seems like at face like as soon as you hear it at face value it seems like alright really like that how did they do that then you hear the explanation like oh my god that's really fucking cool that's how they did it right and that's yeah. how it makes sense within the world it's like oh my god that actually makes so much sense now it's crazy wow yeah so um. No, that's I. I understand why so many of y'all, especially at the beginning, were freaking out about Palini's magic system because, like, th- this is some next level shit. It is pretty dope. Yeah. Moving on. End of that story. I'm sorry. I was getting such heavy Star Wars Order sixty six vibes from that whole ass story. Like the entire thing was just uh like with all of the the riders. Like, uh, not thinking that it would be that big of a deal, or like not thinking the Galatoris could muster people to his side, or um, yeah. acting too slowly. It's literally just the Republic. That That is what it is. It's the Republic acting way too slowly in their arrogance and not realizing that one of their own is about to kill them all. Exactly. Yeah, just, it's it's yeah. great. It definitely heavy. is. I, I didn't even think about that, but definitely Order 66 vibes. Oh, 100%. heavy, heavy. Heavy Order sixty six vibes. Um, this, that whole that whole story was Order sixty six vibes. Like that was definitely like Anakin and Obi Wan go to, oh, yeah. uh, like at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, are like going to, um, like kill Count Dooku and like get like trap after trap gets laid and yeah, that 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 was some that's some Star Wars ish right there. <laughs> but moving on, actually. We did bridge uh, chapters here. I didn't make a note of that. But moving on from the story into Natsuera's chapter, which actually was also fucking insane. Um, first of all, Galvatorix's monologue is phenomenal. Like the whole speech he does there, the whole Galvatorix's whole like villain speech, like Mister Bond, you've now fallen into my trap. Yes, like that shit was fucking fire. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I'm sorry. I okay. I'll say this right now. Like as a preface before I go really into just nerding out about this. Okay. I 100% fully, fully, fully believe this. Palini's coup de grace. Palini's tour de force 
Paolini's greatest aspect about this book series is not his imagery. It is not his planning. It is not his magic system. It is not his structure. It's not his writing ability. It's his fucking villain. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. I'm, I am not okay. joking. I listen to Paolini, the tone, the diction, the word choice, the dialogue, the dialect, the sheer tone and emotion that he associates with Galvatorix is fucking masterful. Yes. Like, it is absolutely, absolutely masterful. And a lot of what he does, especially at this point, is. However, I would fully argue that Palini's characterization of Galbatorix and Murtaugh to an extent, Palini's characterization of Galbatorix and fulfillment of that indirect characterization from the past three books, in combination with the character that he has written now, every word, every effect that Galbatorix has is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, that speech was fire. That, like, that whole effect on Naswada, that whole plan, that whole rant was absolutely masterful. Not just because it was impactful, because I don't know if uh, this is a really small thing, um, because as airtight as Paolini made Galbatorix's argument, we're going right. to talk about the argument. Right. He left little gaps in there to show that Galbatorix is still mad. Okay. Watch this. So, and this, I might be completely bugging here, but. Uh, that's what we do here. Yeah. So, first of all, I don't know about you, but I ended up agreeing with most of what Galvatorix had to say. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It made a lot of sense, right? Yeah, logical. If I was being yeah. sold this, if, I, if you was a salesman, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fair. Makes sense. I'm, I'm buying what you're selling. That made a lot of sense. Yeah. Everything it's you like, said believe, is logical. I believe that shit way more than the Vard. Currently, like if I was gonna back a side, I would back Galvatorix. Yeah, like if the, if I didn't know the main characters of the Varthen and I didn't know the main characters of the Empire, I would back the Empire. Precisely. And we've been talking about this the whole book. Is then Galvatorix raises the point too. If you go into somebody's house and ask them who they back, they're backing the Empire. Because the Varden brought hordes of Urgles, dwarves, elves, and have been burning, pillaging, and ransacking the entire like nation, literally for like a year now. So yeah, pretty much. Like I. I agree with almost every point he made. That shit about magic being the true inequality of life. Damn, that was... Dude. Big. Dude. Big. <laughs> like, that point was absolutely phenomenal for the world that Palini has built. And the way he uses it in his... Honestly, oh at the God. end of the day, a sales pitch. At the oh end of the day, God. it's a sales pitch. Yes. It, it is a sales pitch. He's trying to get Nassau to join him. Yeah. But even more than that, that's a sales pitch to the reader, too. Yes. And like that's as the reader, big... we've been reading three and a half books. Yeah. Big ass books of the protagonist. And here we are hearing maybe two chapters worth of the villain. Yep. And I can fully he, say I could agree he, with you that I would still I would go with the Empire. He's making a lot of sense. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> that I know what the Empire has gone through. It makes yeah. sense. That's logical. Like and even more so for this world in particular, the point that magic is the only inequality is fire like that point that um magic is the only thing that subjects one person to another in this world in a world with magic is amazing and that's a point that we don't really see that often um that's if we bring it back to star wars there's the jet there's the people that have it and the people that don't right like people who can wield the force and people who can't right um and the people who can wield the force are always the ones whether they're the Jedi or the Imperials Sith. or the right. Sith are always causing the power struggles in the galaxy. Right. Um, it's a phenomenal point that checks out. Like, that makes all the sense. Yeah. Like, what are you saying? Okay, what do you think is stopping the elves from ransacking sacking the rest of this place and eradicating humans? Me. Yeah. Now, Sure, the elves might not will probably not do that because they're mostly peaceful. But what was going to stop them back then? Right. That shit makes like, sense. The only reason we're here is because the elves have permitted it. Yeah. Like, like, why? If you're talking about struggle between 
the example of counterfeit was honestly pretty funny. <laughs> He's saying, I've devoted most of my time to making sure that people don't counterfeit my money. <laughs> and, um, and the fact that some magician somewhere is probably doing it anyway and duping people. Yep. The line, oh, oh, there are so many fantastic one-liners in this entire thing. First things first, the line, because you banned magic because it threatens you. When he replies, no, it doesn't, it threatens my system. Or he says, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't threaten me at all. Right. He's like, I, I, there's no threat of magic for me whatsoever. I don't care about that shit. Magic is what makes people unequal. That's why I'm trying to eradicate. Or control it, yeah. Or control it, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And like, um, that same thing where um, he's saying, I would weave a spell so that nobody casts a spell that would harm someone else. Without permission. Yeah. That is some utopian grade shit. That is crazy. Yeah. And I think it's really funny too because we also just heard the story of what the rogue riders did to Ormus and Gladiator, right? And yeah. so you you if you already think about it, he was already trying to implement that. Prior well, to his I mean, he he definitely went around slaughtering those who were against him, don't get me wrong, or allowed the yeah. slaughtering, but if he taught those two to do that or how to do it, he's already implementing trying to make others see his side. Yeah. So, but even like even that, he knows that the the spells that can't harm are the way to get past people protecting from harm. Right. Uh, which is phenomenal. Like that. And I also agree with that shit. Like it's a very logical explanation. Yeah. Like if you have if you can't harm somebody with magic. And, and you know what I think, and this is, I'm not going to say this, for, uh, I will put this, not as a prediction, but this is a, just a random thought I'm having right now as we're talking about this, talking about Gavatoris' sales pitch and everything. At the end of the day, whatever the ending of the book goes, we know Aragorn lives, and he leaves, right? Allegazia. My thought process is, is Nisueda describes to him literally what Gavatoris is describing, saying, look, if we need peace in this world, and whoever this last writer is, maybe too, you guys can't be here. So it's not necessarily that she bans them from the land, but they understand how much their presence in Alagazia can cause the unbalance of everyone and people. It's a definitely. I absolutely least. agree. I just think they'll make that decision themselves. I think yeah. Galva- I okay. think Galvatorix will do that rant to Aragon and Sephira on their own again. Okay. And they'll realize after defeating him that, yeah, yeah. we're going to break the cycle because actually, I'll, I'll get into this. Um, what Paolini does is he still leaves open these tiny little gaps in the Galbatorix's argument to show that while Galbatorix might be right, the protagonist can do it in a better way. Right. One of those gaps, which Nasuata points out, is if he wanted to end the war, he could have crushed the Varden then and there. Which is another, it's just a tiny little logical fallacy. But stuff like that goes to show that, look, even though he might be right, he's going about it the wrong way. Okay. Which leaves open, that is like a moral route for the protagonist, this, in this point, Aragon, to take. Mm-hmm. Being, he'll choose to leave himself because he knows, even though Galbatorx is right, ruling over it and regulating it is not how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Um... But that's absolutely, that was absolutely yeah. fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. I love the speech. Line. Oh my god! Every I Torx's dialogue might be one of my favorite parts of this entire series. I could agree with that. Like I, I have yet to find. I found seldom movies or books that have that good dialogue writing and tone and and now that we know that there's a tv show coming out whomever's gonna portray gabatorix better do a good job oh yeah i would put this on like like james earl jones darth vader voice level like diction oh yeah like that's the comparison that i would make is you know we were talking either last episode or a couple episodes ago just how much jones's like voicing of darth vader makes vader that character right like makes him just 
the lines, the lines, the power behind it, the fact that it's that it's Jones, like right. Um, that is what makes Vader that character. I would put Galvatorix's diction on par with that. Okay. In terms yeah, of power, in terms of being a powerful villain, that's probably the best connection that I could make. Okay. Um, like that shit is fire. Or like um. Actually, have you watched Moon Knight? I keep no. on asking you this, I think, on episode. I have not. For any of you who have, another draw I would make would be the voice of Kanchu. Like, the voice of the god in um, uh, Mark's head would be a similar comparison to, like, the sort of tone and the uh, the filter that they put over the voice. Um, it's absolutely baller. Like, that's, it's so, such fire. Um. Anyway, if you can't tell, I'm taking notes on Galbatorix's dialogue. That's absolutely a a a one villain characterization right there. Um, a one sauce, baby. A one sauce right there. Well, and don't don't think I missed this detail. Galbatorix says family tends to make it easier to change who you are and therefore your true name. Yeah, dude. I did not miss that shit. Honestly, I thought that was a little on the nose for Palini's usual roundabout way. Yeah. Um, we was talking about uh, Ajahad saying he got out of Galvatorx's bonds by changing himself. Right. It's like, I see a Sloan callback in the near future. Yeah. Because that's what Sloan, that's all what the Sloan situation is about, his family. Correct. Because Aragon just did not let yeah. him see his family. And now he's just waste well, not wasting away, but living his yeah. time away in Dallas Mira. Now, I would argue the family actually makes it more difficult to change your name, but um, regardless of that, I get right. Okay, the only reason I say not, and okay, let me phrase this: new family. And when I say new family, I mean the birth of a new child. Whether it's yours, whether it's your grandchild, whether you brought in a child, such as Ajahad brought in Sueda, right, and adopted. Um, is what can help change because if you think about all of the tropes in film and in books, it's you know that one moment where they're like, oh yeah, whatever, kids, kids, whatever, and then they hold their baby, and there's just that change, and there's that different attitude about life, there's that different yeah. care and stuff like that. So I think I think it in if you just said family as in like you grew up with the family, and then you had to be with that family still. Yes, that makes sense. But new life, I guess, is I feel like is a little bit more pertained to this uh, to the situation. And the reason I say is because Katrina is pregnant, and yeah, you know, that's and a good so, point. That's a so really good point. It's not that because I think if Katrina and Roran went back and saw Sloane, no, he wouldn't change. He'd be still very spiteful. He'd still get really angry. Da da da. Right. But now bringing him, you know, if they do see him. They have, he's now a grandfather. It's a whole different aspect of life. And that's a whole different meaning to who he can be in their lives and in their family. That's a great point. Honestly, I was making a rather bitter joke about generational curses. Should we leave that part in? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Didn't think so. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you missed that joke, dude. Like, yeah, that went right over my head. Yeah, it did. You had a great answer, but I was making a joke about generational curses. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see a Sloan callback in the immediate future. Um, and just to point out, just to point out one more absolutely phenomenal line. I'd rather die. How very short-sighted. That is such a good line. How very short-sighted. That's such a good line. Oh my god. I'm copying that. I'm sorry. I have to. I'm copying that shit. Like, how very short sighted. That is just an absolutely amazing response to that sentiment. Like, that, oh my god, that captures the absolute, just like nonchalance, not caring, not affected. Oh my god, that is a powerful, powerful line. I, I was just like, honestly, I. When I read that, I was just like, oh my god, that's phenomenal. Like, yep. that's just perfect, perfect villainy characterized right there. Oh, <sighs> oh my goodness gracious. 
I'm kidding. still rooting for Murtaugh. I know what Palini's doing. I'm still rooting for him. Me too. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, have we ranted enough about Galbatorx's badass speech? Pros? Just absolute phenomenal pros. It's spectacular. Dude. Yeah. Jeez. And to wrap this up, don't think. Also, like, I still see what Palini's doing here. Because he's still portraying Galbatorx's madness. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as Galbatorx's ideas make sense, we already touched on why Palini is still leaving holes there, but the portrayal of his absolute fanaticism towards ending magic, or ending, like, like uh, inequality through magic, still shows his madness, his devotion, like, single-minded pursuit of that is really fucking interesting. Um, because like Murtag still described Galbatorx as mad. At the first, at the very beginning, he described Galbatorx as insane. Right. And a lot of the times we, we haven't really been privy to that because it's easy to think it's, it's just propaganda. You know, like it's easy to think like he's actually really fucking intelligent, which he is. But the madness thing is just what people say about him. No, it is kind of still true. Like we have Murtag's thing in this dialogue. This single-minded focus is still gives like very in, like insanity vibes, but in that's by doing that, Palini's just messing with us. Not messing with us. He's playing with the reader, with the reader's loyalty themselves because that shit makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and if we've been questioning it the whole time, like we have, it makes even more sense. Yep. So. I'm reserving, I'm reserving judgment on Murtag because I would not put it past for that to be a trick at all. Me neither. But wow, I, I I'm rooting so hard for Murtag. I'm rooting so hard for him. Um, and another point of characterization: Pelley has characterized Murtag as an absolutely broken man. Right. Um, and to be honest, I do not. We we get a lot of Murtag's rants in uh, when he visits Nasuada. Which I thought was a very interesting chapter for the two of them because the two of them have always been closer. Right. Um, but to be honest, I don't blame him for hating Aragon. Like, do you remember how we complained about Aragon in book one? Yep. Like, how annoying that little shit was? Yep. Imagine that being your brother as you're getting tortured. Yep. You just look at him and be like, you just, this just you. Fuck you. Like, I I completely like I get like it was meant to come across as like rather whiny and like oh this is unfair why didn't this happen to Aragon right but I totally get that like I, I oh, yeah. completely I oh, completely yeah. get that just oh like, yeah, yeah the, the annoying like this naughty just, little just, kid just is the one the that gets his, yeah this naughty little kid gets to ride free with, free with his dragon while I'm being tortured in this insane dude's prison chamber <laughs> yeah thanks to universe fuck you too <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally get that sentiment. Definitely. Ah, <laughs> uh, moving on to chapters forty-six and forty-seven. Small rebellions and a crown of ice and snow. Not really much to say about either of these. Not much happened. I will say, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. I'm trying not to get my hopes up. I know what Palini's doing. I know what he's doing. I'm really trying not to get my hopes up. But goddamn, I am rooting for Murtag. Me too. I I really want to see Murtag come out of this. A I good know, guy. I know. I want to see him come out. I, I want to see him and Estuada come out with a bond after having survived this. Yeah. Um. However, I feel like this is just another trap from Galvatorx just to fuck with him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not. It's like an impending sense of doom, which definitely was intended by Palini. Yeah. Because you know, but. Hey, the little trick that uh she did though to get her the weapon was cool. It was clever. Oh yeah, no, that was that really, cool. really smart. Um, I have a feeling that dude's gonna die pretty soon. I have a feeling that dude might die too. Yeah, like next chapter. Yeah, yeah most likely, maybe. Yeah. With like a spoon-shaped cut in his throat. Yeah, I don't know exactly how she's gonna do it. Hey, hey, if John Wick can do it with a pencil, that's what I can do it with a spoon. Yeah, but the pencil's at least sharp. The spoon's harder, though. It's made of metal. Yeah, but 
it's like hitting something with a blunt axe compared to stabbing something with a sharp point. Well, we don't know where he stabbed them. Oh, that's true. Because if you know, like, in we're going way too deep into this, sorry, y'all. But if you know, in like, uh, The Dark Knight, when the Joker does the pencil trick, right? Yeah, I'm gonna make those pencil disappear. disappear! Ta-da! Sorry. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's such a great. It's a phenomenal Joker. Talk about great villains. But, um, it's like, yeah, like that one, he does like through the guy's eye. Yeah. It's like that doesn't really like matter how sharp it is. It's like we don't know how John Wick killed three men in a bar with a pencil. Like we don't know where he stepped. <sighs> That's fair. Or if he just like distracted them with the pencil and just like punched them all in breath. But what I'm guess, saying, like, but what I'm saying <laughs> is like, you can't. The way I'm gonna phrase that just sounds so weird. Uh, tell me and describe to me how are you gonna scoop someone to death? Spoons still have edges. <laughs> oh, so you're gonna spoon them to death? That's what we're gonna go with oh here. Oh god! You can still stab something with a spoon. Like if you take an uh, apple, no, I get, spoon, it, I get you, like, it. I get stab it. Stab the apple with the spoon. It'll still go in. I get that. It'll just be more bloody. I say she should go for the eye sockets. Ugh. Ugh. Gouge out the eyes and shove it down his throat. Sorry, eye gouging is one of my least favorite forms of violence in literature. But I think it's like the most, one of the most effective. It is. That doesn't mean I have to like it. Touche. <laughs> Touche. The amount of Shakespeare I've read, there is so much eye gouging in Shakespeare. <laughs> like, dude. Okay. Oh my god. No, I'm serious. There is. <sighs> like, uh-huh. Anyway, um, I, yeah. I must say, I think I feel like didn't I talk about this last episode with the whole John Wick characterization thing? I don't believe so. All right, well, we got a bit of time, so I'll talk about it anyway. Okay. On the topic of on the topic of John Wick and the topic right. of characterization in general, I'll write about this because, um, for the first you've seen the the John Wicks, correct? Yes. Okay, the first movie. The indirect characterization of John Wick is absolutely phenomenal. And honestly, any any person aspiring to write whatsoever should take notes on that scene. The scene right after the, uh, what's his name? Um, Vigo's son kills his dog. I don't remember. When, okay, so... The, no, so the, I, I remember that, I just don't remember who's. Yeah. Yeah. So the head mafia boss calls a guy who punched his son for stealing John Wick's car. He says, I heard you struck my son. He goes, yeah, I did. It was why. He stole John Wick's car and he killed his dog. The head mafia boss man goes, oh, and hangs up the phone. Which yeah. already, already, you'd think like big, the big henchman boss man's like, yo, you hit my son. I'm going to fuck you up. Right. Because no, he fucked with John Wick. Oh, shit. Already that characterization right there, you're thinking, oh my god, what has John Wick done to deserve this? That's true. Next thing is when he's describing John Wick, it's, we haven't seen Keanu Reeves do anything in this movie so far. Okay. He's just describing, saying um, the, one of the coldest lines in that movie, I believe it goes... Uh, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He's the guy you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. That's a fucking baller line. But also, like, this immediate fearful reaction from such a powerful person and your main antagonists is absolutely brilliant, brilliant characterization because we don't need to tell any of John Wick's backstory. We don't need to give any flashback, anything like that. We just need to spend five minutes of a villain telling us how scared he is of the guy. Right to get that characterization. That's true. Which is a a one indirect characterization. Spit and fire. Um, yeah. So, for anybody who's interested in characterization, first of all, look at Palini's YouTube page, and second of all, um, watch that scene because that's a great, great indicator of characterization. Yeah. But um, yes, that was my TED talk, and um, moving on. Cool. <laughs> so, um. No, I'm really, really, really hopeful for Murtaugh. We, we, y'all know this. Y'all know my obsession with Murtaugh. Um, but 
for the last chapter, Crown of Ice and Snow. Not there's big... really nothing to say here. It's a storm. Yeah, um, it was a great imagery scene. Yes, lots of great imagery. Storm. Um, I I love me. I love me that depth stroke, where the uh, the monster just rises out of the depths. Oh, no, oh so cool. I love that. Um, thing. I kind of. You know what I? You know, there's a lot of like images that I would love if I was good at art. Like if I was good at like hand like drawing and painting shit that I would totally make. Yeah. One of them would be like a massive dragon under waves with like its jaws reached up for something that's resting on the waves, like a ship or something. There's definitely something out there, right. but like just that imagery of just like the depths rising up to meet you. Yeah. Is just phenomenal. That is cool. That would be cool. Like, yeah, that's just phenomenal. Um, maybe I'll try to find something like that, print it off. Or something. Yeah. But um, you're talking about like the uh, the under underworld, I guess, in almost the underworld, the underwater world. Um, uh, it's kind like of that, depends. right? And yeah. Well, I'm I'm going I'm going oh, off because I went to yeah. go see Avatar, the original one, the other day because at the end oh. of now the original one in the theaters they have like the like a cut scene from the new one that's about to come out. And it's him on the water, and like, and I think it's a lot more water oriented because literally the title of the movie is something about the water. But I don't know if you liked Avatar. I loved Avatar when uh, I seen I it. Actually, have never seen Avatar. All right, the podcast is over, guys. <laughs> We're just. <laughs> I'm in, and we'll be back in two and a half hours. No, two hours and forty three <laughs> minutes. So Armin can go watch the damn movie and get back on and tell us how we liked it. That's your homework of the week, Armin. I have so much homework. I don't. You gotta watch Avatar. I'll probably watch it as I'm drafting. That's fine. I accept. Um, just watch them. Like at least big, especially like the big imagery scenes. Uh, Ooh, yeah, yeah. There's some gorgeous graphics out there. Um, in that movie. But sorry, the point was is that like you're talking about that under the the whole thing about the depths coming up to see you and, and what is underneath the water that you cannot see. It is crazy to think that. And we still don't, I feel like we still don't know as humans, what could be under the ocean still. Oh, today. oh my God. You know, oh like, yes, it's crazy to think that. So I can't wait. I also think it was really kind of cool. I got, I know it's a really weird callback. Yeah. Well, not really a callback. Um, the really weird uh I don't even know how you want to describe it. Deja vu? Um, no, it wasn't deja vu. Um uh, the the weird connection connection that's the word I'm looking for between what Glager says about them being the dragons of the water, basically. Or Ooh, something yeah. like that. You yeah. know, and how he describes that there are beasts there's, there's three of them. There's the dragons, those and then he said one of them, I forget what it was. Is the one like the mountain ones or like the air ones or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so like that was really cool too to think about that and see what that is and how that yeah. is and how that works definitely definitely some cool shit you're not as obsessed with dragons as I am correct? correct I am obsessed with Harry Potter that's fair is that, is that game coming out pretty soon isn't it? it's coming out in February that's it's supposed so to come right. out I think it's supposed to come out at the end of December but they got pushed back to February gotcha um, um, that, um, that looks such a badass game, dude. When you're looking up, if you want to go into some like mythology or lore shit, if you want to go into, well, it depends on the culture. But if you go into, especially like Chinese water dragons, or even some um, some more like further Southeast Asian okay. mythologies, really fucking cool lore there. All right. Um. So yeah, it's just some more depths hidden knowledge kind of thing cool um yeah big ass storm um yeah sorry back to the story i wonder if this is the last thing i'll say i don't have anything else to say on the section i wonder if there'll be some type of connection between the storms here and the storms that were sinking all these ships and making them mysteriously disappear back in book one i think they're too far was, out well i mean that was off the coast of Tierra. I think they're farther. I think they're like fifty miles out past that. I mean, a storm can cover fifty miles. That's true. I don't know. I just, then, I yeah, that's of, fair. 
That's fair. Like, I'm not sure if it's like the Atlantic where like there's just storms out the wazoo all the time. Right. Um, or if there's like specifically something that's like generating these storms. I thought like, we got it kind of. I thought we, I thought we kind of got it solved though with the Empire sending their bandit ships basically at the end of the day after the cargo ships. When you know I when I don't know if it was when, ever resolved. When Vorn was like going across in the boat. Yeah, when he crossed to Caldera, yeah. But yeah. um I don't know. it's just it yeah. interesting to me that like, it goes another like same same sea kind of thing. Yeah. No. I really do like how Paulini uses his whole world. There's a lot of times you see yeah. the world map and you just see parts of it. And I and I like how this whole series encapsulates Encapsulates? How do you say that? Encapsulates. Okay. Um, the whole world that he has drawn and brought to us. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. So because like a lot of times, like especially in the worlds where like there's a desert, you just never even get a desert seat. You know yeah. what I mean? You and like a lot of times you have water surrounding the world and you never get a water seat. So it's really cool to have that kind of story being told through all these different biomes. Um, for him, but uh, no, I don't really have much else to say. I can't wait to keep going. Um, yeah. Sorry, people, we did not reach out to Paulini. Actually, we didn't even try. Or, I didn't even try to reach out. I think we're just gonna roll with this and keep going through the story. Um, check your emails. I did send another email out. If you are one of our Patreons on that five dollar tier for the October's uh, raffle. Uh, sorry that we couldn't get one last month, but we're trying to keep on top of that. So please check your emails. We'll uh, just reply back and we'll get a date and time set up for us to do our Q&A. Uh, with that being said, though, I don't really have much else to say. Armin? I'm all good. But thank you for bearing with us. And our uh, this day was kind of a tangent day. But, um, it was very much a tangent day. Yeah. But thank you, as always, for listening, for bearing with us. and. Uh, Thank you for joining us as always. Take care, y'all. That's a wrap. Flights of the Allegasium is produced by Chip and Arm, hosted by Chip and Arm, created by Chip and Arm, edited by Chip. Music is by Oscar Barbeza. Website is by Chip. Illustrations are by Birdie Taylor. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.